0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. Amid rising cases of the Omicron variant, Ontario Premier Doug Ford announced renewed restrictions to try to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. These latest moves were met with stiff criticism, most notably the switch to online learning for students to start the new year. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 103. National Post columnist Randall Denley joins me to discuss the new restrictions, why they were controversial, and whether the election this spring will be a referendum on Ford's handling of the pandemic. Don't forget you can find us on all your favourite listening platforms, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, or even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Randall, heading into 2022, Ontario Premier Doug Ford managed to unite Ontarians in anger and frustration with new measures that some felt didn't do enough to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, and those who felt they were too much of an overreach. What specifically, with these new restrictions, had people so up in arms?
1: I think the main things would be the uh, closing of schools, which came as a big surprise because, you know, on a Friday, the Chief Medical Officer of Health said, Hey, schools are going to open Wednesday. Mm-hmm. On Monday, the premier stood up and said, Hey, schools are closing until, well, who knows? <laughs> Later in January, nominally, but it's going to be difficult to sell the reopening, I would say. So, school is a big one, but also going back to the usual suspects, let's close uh, restaurants, let's close gyms, basically any place where people go to have fun. Let's close all those things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We think they're really contributing to the pandemic. Well, we don't know, but let's close them because when things get bad, those are the things that we close. It's very frustrating for people in those sectors that have been hit the hardest of any to be hit again on this Yeah, when there's really no evidence that they're contributing anything in particular to the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Why did Premier Ford swing so far in the lockdown direction, especially with schools after the chief medical officer of health said, no, 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 we're going back to school next week?
1: Because somebody gave him a big scary number, and it was probably somebody on a science advisory panel because that's usually where big scary numbers come from. But he kind of shocked Ontarians when he said there could be 100,000 cases a day, mm-hmm. maybe 200,000 cases a day, which, you know, at the time I think we had 15, 16,000 cases a day. So huge numbers, didn't show any modeling, didn't really show any rationale for it. I mean, to put that in context, the entire world. That's a little under two million cases a day right now. So the idea that, you know, well, maybe ten percent of the entire world's cases would be in Ontario, population just under fifteen million, seems a bit incredible. But I guess it didn't seem incredible to the premier, because whoever was giving this advice then said, Well, one percent of people who get Omicron will end up in the hospital, which most people think is a high percentage relative to the fact, but Nevertheless, so one, maybe 2,000 people a day coming into the hospital, or back to the famous system collapse we always hear about. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't have that many people coming into the hospital. Therefore, something must be done. I have not seen any credible person talk about one hundred to 200,000 cases a day in Ontario, but it seems to me what motivated the premier.
0: In the last week since all these restrictions were announced, Have we seen cases rise? I know testing is complicated. Like, you know, I'm out here in Alberta and they've stopped doing PCR tests for anyone who wants one. It's just for people who fall into specific groups and they're telling people to do these rapid antigen tests at home. But have we seen cases spike in the way that Premier Ford was concerned? We might...
1: I don't know if they've actually gone down, but you know, your point is quite correct. We really don't know what's going on mm-hmm. because like in Alberta, Ontario is just testing healthcare workers, essential workers, Aboriginal people, those thought to be highest risk. So if you're not part of that group, you know, are part of broader society, we don't test you anymore. So really Ontario has no idea what's going on broadly anymore. The test capacity in Ontario is 60 to 70,000 tests a day. So if you ever did have, 100,000, 200,000 cases. You have no way of knowing that. Mm -hmm. The numbers we have now are essentially meaningless, but to the extent that they're at least a consistent slice of the population, they have been going down, which is great, but it also makes people wonder, why are we locked down again?
0: Yeah. Are there any areas with these restrictions where you feel or where Ontarians feel he made the right call?
1: I think the funny thing about this is that probably a lot of Ontarians feel he did make the right call about economic things because it doesn't affect them personally. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people work from home, bit of an inconvenience, no big deal. I can't eat at the restaurant, all right. Can't go to the gym, well, it's January. I don't want to go anyway. <laughs> so it's not a big deal for them. It's a big deal if you work there. It's a big deal if it's your business. I mean, certainly schools affect a lot of people. But even there, you know, some people are afraid. And I think the educational unions in Ontario are doing all they can to make them afraid. The schools are not safe. Well, what would safe consist of? Mm-hmm. Ontario has improved ventilation throughout the entire school system. They promised N95 masks and they go back and send every kid home with testing kits. There's just no point you can reach in a pandemic where you can say the schools are completely safe. It's like every other place out there, you know, there's a degree of risk, but I think. This is what people have had a very hard time with, in the pandemic since the beginning. Is accepting that there is some risk. Yeah. Because we live in a society now, I think, where well, risk well, that must be eliminated.
0: And you can't eliminate all risk. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's about balancing risk. You know, what what is the risk really? Is it one in a million, one in ten? People tend not to want to see it that way. They're just told there's a risk. You better not do it. There's a risk.
0: You mentioned that there was concern that. We could see 100,000 cases a day, 200,000 cases a day in Ontario, and that would lead to a couple thousand hospitalizations a day, even in Ontario. What's the situation with regard to space in hospitals? Is Ontario at a point now where there's concern they're at a breaking point, or is there still, not that we want to see cases rise, but is there still capacity should there be an uptick in hospitalizations?
1: Yeah, anecdotally, you hear a lot of people in the system say we're at or past the breaking point. We're over 400 in ICU, which isn't terrible, unless you're one of the 400, of course. But, you know, we've been told all on that they can handle up to 600. We've been told that big capacity has been expanded. At the worst of the pandemic, we've had 900 in ICU. So ICU problem, not overwhelming. The bigger problem really is that there are a lot of people with relatively mild symptoms, but they still have breathing issues and need some oxygen They need to be hospitalized for a few days. And those are the numbers that have been going up. Mm -hmm. There's about 16,000 hospital beds in Ontario. There's a little under 2,500 people that are COVID-related illness in hospital now. So it's a strain on the system. There's no doubt about it. But the reason it's a strain in part is because Ontario has the fewest hospital beds per capita of any province. Previous level government liked to brag that uh, our system is very lean as they were starving it for funds. And, you know, right now, we just don't have the capacity. And I think it's one of the reasons why Ford feels compelled to, in my view, overreact, is because Ontario's health care system can't take much of a shock. It's slow to respond to things when you don't have a big issue. When you do, you've got a real problem.
0: Do we know how long the latest restrictions will be in place for?
1: They I said, I think school January the 17th and everything else on the 26th. But it depends. right Our number' going to get a lot better by then, and what would be seen as a good number enough to make a change. I mean, part of the issue now is what do you base it on? Because case numbers are now essentially irrelevant because we don't have the full picture. Okay, well, hospitalization, how about hospitalization numbers? how do you reopen a school based on hospitalization numbers? I mean what is the political message? Are you saying the parents, uh, yeah, they're not safe and, and some of your kids are gonna get sick. But but don't worry, we got a bit of space in the hospital for your kid when he gets sick. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what you wanna say if you're the premier. So it's pretty hard to link hospitalization to school closing. And if you close schools because you said or you thought they weren't safe, then people would rightly say, So all right, that was a couple of weeks ago. What's changed? Why are they more safe now? So I think that's gonna be difficult. And when they close schools, in the past, they certainly have kept them closed for far longer than they'd originally suggested you know Ontario has been the jurisdiction that's where the most school time is lost per kid in any place in North America yeah so we're great at closing things down, not so good at opening them up again.
0: I mean you raise an interesting point there the the idea that the messaging from the government and at least based on the reality of the situation there that you don't have a good picture and a lot of jurisdictions no longer have a good picture of the total number of cases as they just assume Omicron is kind of everywhere. And you had to close schools because you're concerned about the number of cases, but you don't actually know how many cases there are. And hospitalizations aren't necessarily the best measure at which to suggest that schools are safe. So what messaging do you feel that Ford and his top officials need to be giving the public right now, either around reopening or what they've done since they've closed things to reopen safely again?
1: I think they've paid themselves into a real corner here because what is going to change?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like what is your justification for reopening? You know, And bearing in mind that there's a significant portion of the public who have been beaten into fear over the last two years, and yes, keep us safe. Shut things down. Don't take a risk. There's a real audience for that. So when you reopen, those are the people who turn around and say, Wait a minute, why are you doing this risky, crazy, reckless stuff? And you have to be able to show some reason why. And off and on through the pandemic, the Ford government has been pretty good at having a plan, right? These are the metrics when we see, you know, certain milestones reached, then we can open things up more. Yeah. They put this latest closing in the context of that plan, but they don't have the numbers anymore to say, okay, we reached these trigger points, we can loosen things up. I'm not sure how they're going to handle that unless they change their rule on testing and say, yeah, we're going to go back to uh, a broader testing regime. won't just be for these groups. It'll be for anybody who thinks that you know they have symptoms and they might be sick.
0: We'll be right back. You raise an interesting point just about the messaging and tying some of that messaging to the plan and that's where they fared well in previous waves. And I think, you know, I'm comparing Alberta where I am to Ontario and I look at the fourth wave in the fall, Alberta was hit far harder with the fourth wave. I think in part because of the speed with which we reopened here and the plan to kind of wind down some of the monitoring here how would you say the Ford government has handled the pandemic? And was it specifically that the big reopening that everybody did last summer where maybe they were a little more cautious than elsewhere. And so they didn't get hit as hard in the fall. Would that be where you feel that the Ford government has done the best or overall, how would you rate their performance?
1: I'd say it really depends on your basic view. If you're a no risk person, you're happiest on the days when they are extremely risk averse, which is plenty of days. Uh, they They've always talked about erring on the side of caution, and I think error is a telling word because they, they often have erred on the side of caution. They've been way more cautious than facts would dictate. And it's particularly challenging now in Omicron, I think, because you know part of the message is, hey, if you've been vaccinated, you're pretty well protected. You might get a bit sick, but you probably won't get very sick, mm-hmm. which is true. So partly that says to people, okay, so it's not a big deal, right? But then the other part of it that's challenging to get across is, well, yes, but there'll be so many people who get this, who test positive or have symptoms that it's still going to be a huge problem just because of sheer numbers. It's hard for people to process that, I think, because they say so it's not going to be bad for me though, probably, right?
0: Yeah,
1: right. okay, well, now my concern level about the whole thing drops a little bit, and particularly if you say, uh, here are people that have been now vaccinated three times in less than a year, you're in good shape now. You know, you don't have too much to worry about. You're in good shape. Okay, well, well, why can't I go to the gym or into a restaurant or to a movie theater? Like, what are we gaining by keeping me from going there? There's no real answer to that because it was just a knee-jerk reaction, I think.
0: Looking ahead, it's an important year in Ontario politics. We've had some provincial elections since the pandemic started, But they were either early on or in some provinces, they were contested by new leaders who had not governed during the pandemic. And so Premier Ford is set to be the first premier to really face a referendum on how he's managed things since this whole pandemic really hit our shores in March of 2020. What is it that you think voters will be looking at when they go to the polls in June?
1: To some extent, I think it's eventually a pandemic election because most of his term will have taken place. During the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. certainly not the issue the PCs want to run on. Before Omicron and everything went crazy again, they had a plan basically say, well, by the spring, just before the election, it's all good. Restrictions are going to go away. You know, we've beaten the pandemic. Great job. Doesn't look so good now. They don't want to run on that. They want to run on the economy, growth, meeting housing demand sort of more everyday life issues.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm not sure what the opposition are going to run on, because if your campaign is just, oh, well, if we've been in government, we've done a lot better job than the other guy. People go, I guess, you know, but we've seen governments of all types all over the world with, Wildly varying results, and it's not like there's some magic formula that we knew at the outset. Well, if only he stuck to the formula. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people probably don't hate the way Ford has handled this, but his biggest problem is that the people who hate it the most are PC supporters. And I, you know, as a columnist who writes about this in the National Post, I hear a lot from those people because that's, you know, their readership skews in that direction. And they're just mad because, you know, to them, A PC premier should be pro-business. He should be skeptical of health experts predicting disaster, which they have always over-predicted. He should be the guy who sticks up, especially for small business. And he's hurt himself in the pandemic by not doing that enough in the minds of business people and PC supporters. So there's a challenge for him there, I think, in the sense that I don't see PC supporters saying, hey, let's look for the liberals, but will they vote at all? Mm Mm-hmm. That tends to be how Ontario PCs react. If they don't like their party, they just don't vote. So he's gonna to have to find a way to motivate them to get out. But I think he's very fortunate in the opposition leaders he has, because Andrea Horvath will be going for her fourth try and, you know, over three so far, no reason to think it would be different. Stephen Dalduca, the liberal leader, is somebody that people have just never heard of. They have no idea what he's all about. He's not charismatic, to put it kindly. So I think, you know, come down as it typically does in the election people say, well, I'm not crazy about Doug Ford for the following reasons, but who else have we got? So I think the who else have we got, factor will be very positive for him.
0: He could potentially benefit from an opposition that hasn't appeared necessarily positioned to take his place, as you say, in part because the liberal leader is a bit of an unknown and there's not necessarily a lot of support for Andrew Horvath outside some key areas.
1: Yeah, I mean, she is the leader of the official opposition here. She did better than the liberals last time because that party has an historic collapse. But, you know, where there is a division of the so-called progressive vote, which right now is pretty evenly split between the liberals and the NDP. That's ideal for Ford because, you know, let them split the vote and our guys will come up the middle and we'll win a lot of seats. So I'd be very surprised if he loses the next election, but he's got some challenges for sure.
0: Is there anything non-pandemic related that will be top of mind for voters, or will this really just be a pandemic election, that that's kind of going to suck up all the oxygen?
1: Yeah, I don't think it can be a pandemic-only election, because we're looking backwards, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing that should come out from the pandemic into this election is, what are we going to do about healthcare in Ontario? And that's partly a federal pressure issue, too, because you know they really offer limited support, but... We just can't keep going in Ontario with a healthcare system that's so underpowered for the size of the population. I mean, what's the point of having a healthcare system that it'll be okay as long as nobody gets sick? <laughs> you know, if that's your operating premise, you got a big problem. So I think there's gonna be an appetite for health care expansion in Ontario. And that would be probably the best issue for the other two parties to jump on, except that for the Liberals of course, we're in the problem we're in today because they were in power for 15 years, and strangely, healthcare wasn't a big priority for them. So that can boomerang on them pretty easily, but I think all three parties have got to talk about healthcare because it's become incredibly apparent now that we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. But Ford was getting good resonance in the fall when he was talking about economic stuff, suburban growth, getting things built, lots of money for um, public transit, lots of money for highways— And the other parties won't talk about highways because they're evil, right? Cars drive on them. Yeah. So, you know, I think good appeal for a suburban border is very important in the areas around Toronto. People in downtown Toronto think, well, you you should all take some kind of transit to come into Toronto, right? And in 10 years, it'll be built. Whereas, you know, the PCs are more focused on, look, we know a lot of people need to drive their cars or their trucks, and we're going to build more highways. Well, Yeah. I think that's going to help him in those areas. And I think they're all going to move away from the pandemic, probably because the early June campaigning in April and May, who knows what the state of the pandemic will be then, but people are so tired of talking about it. Somebody who can offer hope for the future, I think, has a very appealing message.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's an election that a lot of Canadians will be paying attention to, so I certainly will. So we'll be keeping an eye on that story. Randall, thanks for your time. My pleasure. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Randall Denley. More from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.